Welcome to A Problem Squared, the podcast which is the problem equivalent of bird watching, where we try and find new and exciting problems in the wild, and we document them, we analyze them, and then we solve them with all the calm and efficiency of a bird flying into a school classroom. I'm mathematician Matt Parker. Look, don't laugh. I've put a lot of effort into this introduction. It's okay. Is that not the response that you're hoping for? I want people to enjoy it, but also I just want to show them we put the effort into the introduction. Yeah. I'm Matt Parker, mathematician, putting the logical in ornithological, and I'm joined by a professional twitcher, Beckhill. <laughs> when you say twitcher, yeah. are you referring to the fact that I twitch a lot or the platform twitch? Oh, no. You know what? The platform twitch didn't even cross my mind. It was a combination of your excessive amounts of energy and enthusiasm <laughs> playing off the fact that bird watchers are called twitchers. <gasps> I didn't know that. Yeah. There you go. Well, also, I should point out that I'm not a professional twitcher in terms of the social media platform that's a good point and i apologize for misrepresenting <laughs> beck's career were you gonna say for getting people's hopes up yes i like to think that our listeners are like ah oh, i was so excited to watch beck play beat saber for the hundredth time i'm very good at it i have nothing to compare myself to but i'm pretty sure i'm amazing maybe you should twitch maybe i should <laughs> well on this episode <laughs> We will work out how we number our episodes. Finally get to the bottom of how many Ferrero Rochers there are. And work out when does a room become more than that. We've also got updates on Beck's 5k t-shirt and our fantastic Patreon supporters. Matt, it's been a month. How have you been? What have you been up to? I've been all right. I've been making too many YouTube videos. So many! I know. Your face is everywhere. I do apologise. Thing is, YouTube recommends me to me. So I also <laughs> have the... Like, because I watch YouTube under a different account to making YouTube, Yeah, it's correctly ascertained that the version of me that watches YouTube would like the sorts of videos that actual me is making. And so it correctly recommends <laughs> all of my videos to me. And I'm always of two minds because it will recommend it to me just after the videos come out. And I've just spent days, possibly over a week, slaving away, finishing the edit. I've done nothing but look at this video. I never want to see it again. <laughs> I'm like, that's done. I'm going to go relax on the sofa, watch some TV, and then there's me again. <laughs> So I'm like, it's the last thing I want to watch. Now you know how Lucy's life is all the time. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, well, she uses, we've got a joint YouTube viewing account. Yeah. And so when she's trying to relax or do something else, she'll also be recommended videos of me. There's no escape. <laughs> but in the back of my head, I know YouTube keeps track of what percentage of people watch the video having seen the thumbnail. So I... When 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 I my face appears on the screen, I know, do I want to add to the percentage of people who did or did not watch the video having seen it? Oh, right. And I, I have to admit, I err on not watching it. I make my own statistics a little bit worse. I, I tell the Google, the almighty YouTube algorithm that the video is a little bit not as good as it thought it might have been by not watching my own videos. So. Well, I mean, if you want, I can do that too, if that helps. That would be really helpful. Yeah. At least one person listening has to watch 
your video based on oh, the yeah. thumbnail and that'll make up for you not doing it. Well, one person who wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Because I, I do think, you know what, I could just hit play and then walk out of the room. Yeah. But I'm like, no, that's that's not, that's a bit disingenuous. Do you want to have a guess? I'm just looking up the exact number now. What percentage of people who see a thumbnail on YouTube actually then watch the video? For you or just in general? I've only got numbers for me, but I suspect I'm probably not that totally different. See, I would have thought it was really high because I find that thumbnails that people tend to do for videos now are the thing that will lead you to click more so than the headline. Yep. I've definitely clicked on things based on it looking like it's halfway through the process of something and I want to see where it's going. Oh, interesting. But I also know that your thumbnails are perfect for your channel, but they're less clickbaity in the way that the things that I tend to click on. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. I would think that it's a high percentage. I could make them more clickbaity. Are you saying it's a low percentage? No, well, it's about 8% depending on the video. I would say 8% of people are like, Oh, yeah, I love Holly and Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Look like Norman Lovett. <laughs> Thanks. More that you're just like, when you wear a black t-shirt against a black background, you're sort of a floating head. It's a good point. I'm a floating head. A yeah. Floating head. I need to buy more <laughs> colourful t-shirts. That's my problem. Well, you know, you've, you're talking to the right person. Well, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and actually, I don't know how that compares to other channels, but fewer than one in 10 people who see the thumbnail will watch the video. And so I've... I've I basically, I'm peer pressured into also not watching the video, so I won't watch my own videos. But my life recently has been cranking out two videos a week mm. because I'm not doing live shows or anything else at the moment. But I think I might have to take my foot off the pedal a little bit because um, I can't sustain that level. I mean, to be fair, I've got quite a few videos in progress, so I may keep that going for a while. We'll see. How about yourself? What, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, oh, I did the Jonathan Ross show. Recorded that. The jump, Well, the Jonathan Ross Comedy Club. Really? Yep. That's all being filmed. When's and that go out? That should, in theory, as people are listening to this, be coming out the Saturday after they listen to this. So it's like the 2nd or 3rd of October, whenever that is. And it's right after Britain's Got Talent. Wow. So um, obviously I'll tweet about it and stuff if anyone follows me on social media. But um uh, yeah, in theory, it should be in a couple of days. You can watch my face. And for anyone listening internationally, the Jonathan Ross show is a big deal. That's like one of the top, you know, primetime TV shows going. Well, this is his new This is his new comedy show. So this is all like just stand-up rather than a, a chat show. So it's just you doing a routine? Yeah, I've got my flip charts, having a bit of fun. That is super exciting. Everyone, you have to watch it this imminent weekend. Yeah. We believe. We believe. <laughs> It'll be on catch up. It'll be on catch up. Yeah. Extra news that I probably should have opened with. I got a shout out on Seth Meyers' late night talk show. What? I know. It was the most <laughs> surreal moment of my life. So Seth Meyers is one of the late night talk show hosts in the States, people who aren't familiar with their work. Yeah. And like all the other talk shows, they had to kind of record from home for a while. And I made a video where I was like, why are late night talk show hosts so bad at filming at home? It's time for a closer look. And I did this thing about how you can uh, do better filming stuff at home. And obviously I wrote some jokes about um, the hosts. 
Colbert didn't hear a thing out of them. <laughs> Seth Meyers dropped me a message. It's like, yeah, good advice. I'll, I'll get a lapel mic. What? How are you the one giving that advice? Like, how does he not have an entire team who's like, we'll give you this stuff? Well, exactly. And each time I I was giving advice and I'm like, this is super obvious. And I would say things like, I'm sure your film people have already told you this or suggested this or done that, but this is what I would do. But from all I can tell, they were pretty much just told to grab an iPad and good luck. So I was... Talking about how to set up lapel mics, what your options are for auto cues if you want to do that for YouTube, how to do lighting, what kind of camera to get, all their stuff. I became his unofficial YouTube consultant. Also, hang on. When you say you became this, yeah. What it, since we last spoke or like beginning of lockdown? Beginning of lockdown. I'm sorry. Why did you not mention this? Is this because you're like... Didn't come up in conversation. It's, <laughs> you know, I don't... What words do I need to say for you to be like, <laughs> oh, and by the way, I've been assisting Seth Meyers. Uh, did, didn't occur to me. I wasn't holding out on you, Beck. It was just happening. You know, it became my normal life. It was just every day. Oh, yeah. There's Seth. Oh, yeah. No, I forgot to mention that during lockdown, I became best friends with Jackie Chan. So, yeah. Like I was going to mention it earlier. The weirdest one was because Lucy and I watch Seth's show and always had previously. And one night we were watching it. And while we were watching the show, I got a message from Seth um, with another thing about filming stuff. And just Seth. chatting. So I was like, hey, me and my new BFF. First name basis. I know. And at the, but then in his last show, at the very end, after a closer look, he very kindly um, thanks me by name. He'd previously referred to me anonymously in an article. And he messaged me to say, look, I'm really sorry. Uh, th- you're the person I'm talking about, but I, we couldn't um, get a name or anything in. So the whole time I didn't tweet about it. No one, no one knew. I was just happily doing it in the background. Wow. And then... Out of nowhere, he mentioned me by name in the wrap-up of his last episode at home. And so, yeah, it's been it's been an immense amount of fun. That's so cool. Yeah, wow. That's YouTube consultant to the stars. Yeah. You've done it, Matt. You've finally got my approval. Really? Wow. <laughs> this is what it feels like. <laughs> First up, this wasn't a problem originally, but it's since become a problem. On Twitter, Albert Hickey has said that they were listening to episode 9 of A Problem Squared, and I mentioned in the episode that we were three quarters of the way through the year. And they've written, let me get this exactly what they've said, since episode 1 is when the podcast starts, is this an N out of N plus 1 thing as 12 months ends... At the 13th episode, as there is a month between each episode. And that wasn't, it's not a problem per se, but then we started talking about it and it pretty quickly did become a problem. Yeah, because I think the other reason that that came up is because, and we'll talk about this more at the end of this episode, uh, but we had made a promise that if we could reach 100 Patreons after 12 months of doing this show, that we would continue doing... Uh, another year and then the question was does that mean after 12 episodes in which case that's technically 11 months or does that mean after 12 months which means 13 episodes yeah there's a whole area of mistakes called off by one errors in programming i guess and mathematics and this is a fence post problem i would say because the fence post problem is that if you've got five meters of fence and there's a post every meter how many posts do you need 
and the intuition answer is we need five posts because there's five meters and one post per meter. But then you forget you need one at the beginning and at the end. There's a zeroth post and then one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. And so people will often forget when you've got a range of things divided up, it's very easy to miscount either how many dividers there are or how many sections there are. So in our case, our first 12 episodes are only 11 months apart because they're like 12 fence posts. And because you need one at the beginning and the end, there's only 11 bits of fence. So I guess the, the question here is, when do we stop counting? Because I said after nine episodes, we were three quarters of the way through. Because I think I count the month leading up to an episode as being the month of that episode. And that's interesting because I think the month after that episode is the month that everyone has to get on board before the next episode comes out. I love the fact that this is classic. I'm thinking about me and you're thinking about the audience. Because <laughs> in my mind, I was like, Oh, yeah, no, it still makes sense because if we were waiting to try and get 100 Patreon supporters by the time our 12th episode comes out, I know by wording I'm suggesting that's by the time it comes out, which already that technically makes the answer. But if you were to say, like, by 12 episodes, then I what I would say is if we hadn't reached 100 by the time it went out, I would still give us a month to reach the 100 before deciding whether to continue or not. And I agree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're done. I mean, I think the way we've worded it on Patreon, I would interpret it like if we've got 100 supporters when we're about to make the 13th episode, we will make the 13th episode. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the month after. But you were saying as well that the month in the lead up to an episode for you as part of it because we we do our prep that's when we're finding our problems yep. that's when we're finding our solutions uh -huh. that's when we're potentially trying to film epic videos with drones yeah <laughs> and i very much view these episodes as like a roundup of the month that was and they come out on the last day of the month and they're about whatever happened to us and our adventures with problem solving the month prior which means as soon as the 12th one is out then we're immediately working on the next year's or season, whatever we want to call this, mm. worth of episodes. Yeah. Hmm. If we take both of ours, arguably what that means is we've actually got more months than episodes. Oh, I've got 13 months a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite of the fence post problem. <laughs> uh, maybe every episode has two months, the month leading up to it and the month afterwards, and just they overlap. Oh, no, no. Now you're thinking in more than two dimensions and my brain can't handle that. Yeah, you stack them. And each oh. month is the previous one winding down and the next one winding up. And because they wind down and wind up in a linear fashion, there's always the same total amount of episode. Yeah, like spreading out playing cards. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. In the way that a dealer does it really smoothly where they go brrr, and then it's like overlapping but there's but it's the same amount of thickness for the whole i've gone really specific someone listen one person listening will be really impressed by that and thank you person for whoever you are well now i'm thinking is that a consistent amount of card that's a new problem altogether <laughs> about to say now i've got to get some felt and a pack of cards out and do it properly <laughs> um anyway the the moral of the story is i think 
that we will declare the 12 months to be... Oh, what do you reckon? I, I'm I'm tempted to say no, it's when the 12th one goes out. No, it's after. It's a month after. It's until the... It's a month after. It's until when the 13th would be. I understand that that means that if we don't have 100 by the end of that month, we might end up prepping for a show that we never record. Yep. Okay. I will begrudgingly accept the run-on. Because I'm sticking in mentally, I'm still imagining the, the episode as being... You know, fading up in the month before and fading out in the month afterwards. So I think I'm, I think I'm happy with that. Okay. So I think, I believe, Albert, I believe that that's a ding. I think that's a ding. But we'll, we'll leave it to you to, to confirm. So as you know, Matt, I am yep. one of the ambassadors for the UK Crafts Council. Yeah, that's correct. Which means I've been raising alertness about a campaign they have to send out ten thousand craft boxes to kids who need them. Great campaign. Yep. And people should just go onto the UK Craft Council website. Just Google it. We'll put a link in the show notes. It's a really nice... Look at you. Always ambassadoring. Always ambassadoring. And one of the things that I was slightly disappointed about was when I realized that being an ambassador doesn't automatically mean that I get a pyramid of Frere Rocher. No. And then we talked about this for a bit, and you suggested that the pyramid was square-shaped. Yep. I then, in a later episode, corrected you and pointed out that it is a circular base. Correct. Several eagle-eared listeners pointed that out. Yeah. And I wanted to know how many Frere Rocher are in that pile from the ad in the 90s. It's a classic ad. Can I correct you on one point before you've even started, Mm. which is... In the classic early 1990s commercial for Ferrero Rocher's with the ambassador's reception, it is the ambassador who has organized the reception and therefore has to provide uh, the Ferrero Rocher's to their guests. Oh, you've just blown my mind. So I, I suspect the reason why you haven't suddenly got it is that's one of your many responsibilities. That's my job. Yeah. <laughs> you've let yourself down. You've let the craft council down. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, but I guess the good news. Yes. That I think we can get to the bottom of how many Ferrero shares you will require to assemble a platter of the proportions as seen in the commercial. Yes. Help me, Matt. Help me be a better ambassador. So we actually had a listener at Set Alias, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, yep. on Twitter. Don't know how to pronounce that. And they sent us uh, at a problem squared. Um, they sent us the way that they would go about working out how many Ferro Rocher are in that pyramid. They've done a really amazing thread, which we'll retweet from the a problem squared account um, when this goes out. But um, I wanted to know, were their findings the same as yours, Matt? Well, I kind of took their findings as a starting point because they had a fantastic idea to use a website. And if you look on their tweets, can you see like they've got a, they've tweeted a screen grab of the stack of Ferrero Rocher. Yeah. And I did a similar thing. I went through the commercial. I got a couple of different shots where you can see it clearly, screen grabbed them and had those as my reference points. Next to it, they've tweeted an image which looks like it's got, Circles made of smaller circles. Yeah. And then it's got numbers for how many smaller circles are in the bigger circle. Yeah. That's a website that I'm a huge fan of where people try to find the smallest circle you can fit a given number of other circles inside of. Oh, sounds sounds cool. 
and the small ones are all the same size. And mathematically, it's incredibly difficult. Sounds like a fun Friday night. So what was that? Nothing. As long as you weren't, you know, <laughs> undercutting my excitement. I would never do that. Such an important <laughs> bit of mathematical research. So the problem is in mathematics, there's a whole area of arranging shapes so they take up the minimum amount of space in different numbers of dimensions. This is an area of maths that we haven't really cracked yet. And the, our current understanding of mathematics is woefully inadequate to work out how to arrange things in an efficient way. And the website, which I talk about in my um, book, Things to Make and Do in the Fourth Dimension, because I just I love this stuff. It's a, all the best known solutions for arranging smaller circles inside a big circle. Every time I say that, I do appreciate how ridiculous it is. And so <laughs> the um, uh, set alias, or however they pronounce their name, I'm very sorry, they had the idea that if you look at the pyramid, so I was wrong, it's not square-based, it looks circular-based. And so each layer is circles arranged in a bigger circle. And they went to this website to try and find the optimal way to arrange that many circles inside a circle. And that's a genius idea. So that's what I did. I, had the, I was like, okay, I will try that. But unlike what they did, where they're just trying to work it out Theoretically, they've just tried to count how many they can see, work out which one it might be, and then work their way up the stack. I thought I there's going to be complications once you physically do this with tiny chocolate spheres. So I went and ordered 192 Ferrero Rochers. <laughs> I found a bulk <laughs> confectionery place. And so I, I thought I'd give it a go. I'd do it properly. And as you know, I messaged you when they arrived Yeah, that I have literally hundreds, hundreds of Ferrero Rochers that I can try and balance in a stack. Well, almost hundreds. Hundred and a bit. Almost hundreds. Well, here's a spoiler. I did not have enough. <gasps> I mean, I shouldn't sound so excited by that, but I I am fully aware. Here's a little, little insider knowledge for the listeners. Yep. Matt does not have a sweet tooth at all. No. I mean, it's this is probably safest because if they'd been sent to me to try and do this problem, I definitely would have eaten them before I'd solved the problem. I spent two days balancing Ferrero Rochers <laughs> on top of each other. Do you know how many of them I ate during those two days? None. Zero. Zero. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely none. I did not eat a single Ferrero Rocher the entire time. <laughs> Although I would have laughed if... The reason that you don't have enough is because you'd been eating them. Because I'd eaten up. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I accidentally squashed two of them during the construction process. <laughs> but I was still short. I was short more than two. Yeah. So today, this morning when I was finishing this up, I had to run down to the shops and buy <gasps> non-bulk discount. Oh, my gosh. Additional Ferrero Rochers because I was wanted to complete this and do it properly. Seth Meyers consultancy money. Exactly. <laughs> 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 well, do you know how many how many consultancy monies I got? Also zero. <laughs> Big fan. Great number. And so, so I started off by doing what we saw in the tweets, where I eyeballed how big the circle would be mm. and then how to arrange them within that. Mm. The problem with these arrangements is they're not very regular because there's no good way to arrange circles in a bigger circle, yeah. which is why originally I thought, this is not how they will have done it in the commercial because it's a terrible way to do it. Yeah. And I managed to verify through several hours of trying to do it, it's a terrible way to do it. <laughs> I tried different sized circles as the base, different arrangements. As soon as you start building up a couple layers, it's incredibly unstable and uneven. Is it because it gets 
bigger in the centre, but it leans to the sides, so they start toppling off each other like sand dunes. Yes, yes. You get the sand dune effect where they just kind of, the whole pile wants to slump yeah. out. Like when you when you look at a like a, t- a timer with, a, with sand in it, one of those yeah. egg timers with sand, yeah. what do they call hourglass? And then I, I remember staring at them, not like the, I was surrounded by them as a child, but like... You know when you look at one and you you really want it to tower yep. up and reach the top, but it keeps oh, yeah. falling before it gets to that height that you want it sure. to get to. Grow, growing up in Adelaide, you spent your youth <laughs> watching watching the sands of time. Matt, you're from Perth. You can't like. <laughs> hey, I I would argue a rung up, but let's not uh, let's not get into that. At least I'm like. Only an eight-hour bus ride from the next major city. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, yeah, so anyway, so I did, I will admit, because in the commercial they're on platters, mm. which hold the base together, I did blue tack the bottom layer of Ferrero shares to the table mm-hmm. so they couldn't move out. Yeah. But then all the other ones on top of that were freestanding. And if you look at the commercial, they haven't got their little, like little cups, little paper, like cupcake wrappers. They're, so I had to remove hundreds of those. Yeah. Which they're stuck into. Also, I watched the commercial. At no point does anyone unwrap any of the chocolates. What do they do with their wrappers? Just drop them. I think they just... I, it, it seems to imply they eat them whole. <laughs> like... How the other half live. <laughs> well, all I can assume is that there's another tier of Fru Rocher for the one percenters, which... Is inedible gold leaf or something. We have to point out. Let's check our privilege for a second, Matt. Ferrero Rocher is not like the every man's chocolate. Like this is a, you know, when you say for the 1%, most could argue yeah. that Ferrero Rocher is probably nearing a 1%. Like it's not a chocolate that you just pick up as you're getting your milk. It's a chocolate for your Christmas stocking. That's the advertising working for you. I, you know, that that's that's the image they want to project with these gold wraps. Well, also the price, Matt. <laughs> that's a good point. I don't know how they... Cause, oh, because you don't buy sweet things, so you don't realise... I don't buy chocolate, so I have no idea. £20 for a box is very reasonable, I imagine. <laughs> okay, so to put it in perspective... I think these days you can get a Mars bar for just under a quid, like under a... I think they're like 80p for a Mars bar. Okay. Not a king size. And if you bulk purchase Ferrero Rocher, I can tell you, you'd get two and a half for the same money. Oh, see? Now, this is the thing. We've all been buying our Ferrero Rocher wrong. No, you've got to, got to go straight to the distributor. That's also not to say that that's still not an amount more than some can afford. I understand that. But you and I are rolling in YouTube Kofi don- donations. Oh, yeah. we got that podcast money now. So in conclusion, I don't know if they've got some magical edible wrapping, better stacking Ferrero Rocher out there. But the ones that I was able to purchase and I left the foil on, I could not get to stack in a perfectly circular arrangement. Mm. What I ended up doing was finding the circular arrangement that had the most regular ones in the middle and that was basically a hexagonal grid of Ferrero Rochers slightly distorted around the edge to make the outer bit a bit more circular but it meant that inside it I had a much more regular arrangement 
of Ferrero shares. And then I, gr- I did a bunch of calculations. I did a lot of trial and error. Because in the commercial, if you watch them take them off the platter, there's one by itself at the top. But the next layer has four. And that's just a terrible number to have next. Balancing one sphere on four other spheres is not a logical mathematical decision. So I don't know what the chef, whoever prepares this, was doing. Chef. (laughs) Can you imagine stacking Ferrer Rocher and being like, I've done my job as the chef. Hey, having done it, it's a skilled job. Yeah, but it doesn't make you a chef. I don't know what the requirements are to be a chef. Mathematician. Obviously, they have a mathematician. Delicately. Well, it's also, it's a bit too hands-on for a mathematician. See, this is the thing, and I don't know if anyone listening feels the same right now, is that this entire time I'm visualizing you stacking these Ferrero Rocher and struggling. Yep. And yet, in my Correct. head, I'm like... You just stack them. Like in my head, I'm like, it's obvious. It's so obviously easy. And I understand that that's because I don't have it in front of me and I'm not trying to do it. But it's very frustrating not being in a position to show that I can do it very easily, (laughs) which I believe I could. Peck. What? Would you like to borrow just over 200 Ferrero Rochers? I mean. And you can have a go. Is this, we might need more. Yeah, well, th- yeah, there's going to be substantial losses. Uh, however, one of the issues is if they're not super regular, if they're a-, a bit here and there, when you put the next layer on, each new Ferrero share you're putting on, you want it to sit in like a-, a dimple, a dip, like a little depression nestled between the ones underneath. Mm. But if the ones underneath aren't super regular, the how big the dips are varies which means the next layer up is a little bit uneven. And the next layer up is even more uneven. And by the time you get a few layers up, it's hard, it's hard to say where one layer stops and one begins. It becomes a mess. And then like you're saying, it starts all slumping out and collapsing. It's an absolute mess. But the, the outside of it is the only thing that looks like it's sort of solid layers in terms yeah. of like a clear difference between the first layer, the second layer, in that sense but the but the filling of those layers isn't visible so that could be that could be all over the shop surely yeah but the the outer layers are a manifestation of what's going on inside because they're resting on the ones behind oh that was deep thank you matt get that on a (laughs) t-shirt the outer layers are a manifestation of what's going on inside matt parker a problem squared 2020. I, I'm pretty sure that might be fridge magnet worthy. So um, you won't get neat regular outer layers unless inside has also been taken care of and, and aligned and at one with itself. So um, what I ended up doing was having a very regular, it was like it was a compact hexagonal arrangement of these layers of spheres because we know mathematically the best way to arrange spheres but it's just not circular on the outside so i went for a compromise i made it look as circular as possible on the outside while being very regular and neatly arranged on the inside and okay beck are you ready for what i ended up making took me two days yes i'm waiting with bated breath sending it now and and we'll put these on twitter and on instagram yeah Check that out. That looks amazing. Is that solid Ferrero Rocher? Solid. Yep, that's chocolate all the way down. 
you've basically done. I see what you mean. It looks more hexa hexa hexagonal. It looks hexagonal. Yeah. Because I made one which was a bit more circular, but it was still too small. It was one. It when I built it up, it stopped one layer short of what you see in the commercial. Mm. It. I think the angle, the steepness in the commercial is not physically possible stacking Ferrero Rochers. And so I had to widen out the base a little and that made it a bit more hexagonally. So it doesn't look quite as round, but I convinced myself from the right angle, it looks enough like the ones in the ad. It's not perfect, but I think that's as close as you're going to get in physical reality. Yeah, I think you're right. That's amazing. I do still want to have a go at it, though. I still think you should send these to me and not because I want to put them into my belly. Well, I will count them and send you a known number of them and you can have a go at stacking to see if you can improve on that arrangement. Yes. Follow-on problem. Uh-oh. Possibly two. Here we go. When we got into this, then I was like, well, hang on. In the commercial, the famous line is, Ambassador... You're spoiling us, or some variation on that thing. Yes. And I was wondering, is 216 chocolates spoiling the guests? 38 pence each. So, Beck, I believe you've tried to work out how many people were at the ambassador's reception. Yes, I used my ambassadorial skills to guess how many people were at the bowl based on the ad. Because you asked me to work it out, and I started counting, and then... Good system realized that first of all they they're moving they're walking in the ad they're all moving around it's very hard to count things that are moving and secondly uh at at least half of them are in black tuxes right with their backs to camera so i couldn't tell if it was the same person between shots or not like i could tell you there's like five ladies that are definitely different but with all the people in tuxes i you know I couldn't tell you how many other people are there. So I, what I did is I guessed yep. how many people are there because this quite they're not socially distancing. Well, you're an ambassador. I have to know these things now. It's a gift. And uh, I assume you go to a lot of ambassador receptions and the like. Well, not yet, no. But I'll have to hold them, as you pointed out. Oh, exactly. So, uh, yeah. 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 So um, I think it seemed to be a very big place because they had like statues and stuff and like columns and everything. But all the people inside seemed to be quite squished up. This is the ambassadorial insight that we need. Yeah, I I guess that there was about two hundred. Oh, but I'm happy to I'm happy to guess that there's two hundred and sixteen, if that helps. Two hundred plus potentially sixteen dropped Ferrero Rocher. That's because I was about to say, oh, well that works out to about one each, which yeah. is not necessarily spoiling the guests. Hey, it is if normally you get a Mars bar. Well, exactly, for the similar price point. But then I'm like, well, hang on, maybe the ambassador is spoiling them by deliberately finding an arrangement to have precisely the same number Ooh. of Ferrero Rochers as people. Because if there's anything an ambassador does, it's, you know, stop uh, arguments and people getting upset. So yeah. having the exact number of confectionery items as guests. I mean, that's some top tier ambassadoring, surely. Unless they meant that the, you're spoiling us in terms of they're, they're spoiling their enjoyment of the evening by only giving them one for Rocher and wanting them <laughs> to have more. <laughs> you're spoiling all our fun. Yeah. Your onerous 
dessert rules. They cut the line too quick. It's, it's uh, you're spoiling us, Ambassador. This whole evening, you've ruined it. They, they actually keep, can, they go any further. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I because originally when I was when I was counting them, I was like, oh, there's only about fifty. But I think just given the size of the place. And how tightly packed they seem to be in there. I'm going to assume that off camera, there's at least another 150. It feels totally reasonable. Yeah. Now, when you're planning your first ambassador's reception. Yes. You probably do want to actually spoil your guests. Yes. So I thought I would calculate the maximum number of Ferrero Rocher's you could have in a pile. Oh. And by maximum, I mean the point at which it will collapse under its own weight. Ooh. So... I had to do a couple things. First of all, I had to work out how heavy a Ferrero Rocher is. Mm -hmm. And I did it like, a bit like macadamia nuts. It was um, chocolate in shell. Yeah. So I worked out the mass when it's still got, it's got the foil wrapping, but mm -hmm. not the little cup thing that it sits yeah. in. So I weighed a whole bunch and averaged it out. They're 12.9 grams each mm -hmm. with the wrapping. I then worked out how much force the chocolate can withstand before it collapses. My wife, Lucy, actually walked into the kitchen and there was like a countertop full of squashed Ferrero Rocher's because I'd been pushing them into the kitchen scales to see what mass it would register before they would crush. And some of them, they're variable. They're not a consistent building material. I would not what? want to use this. I know. They, they vary quite a bit. And I don't know if you could go through and pick out all the hardiest ones. About one in 10 would easily get well over three kilos of, of force before it would um, go. Or uh, three kilos of mass equivalent under gravity. It's like that Bible saying, isn't it? The, the man who builds his house on sand is a fool. The man who builds his house on Ferro Rocher will... will it will last slightly longer. <laughs> Upon this chocolate, build my ambassador reception. And so um, this, on average, your standard issue for a Rocher, you can put a total of 2.8 kilograms on it before it crushes underneath the weight. That's my average that I worked out roughly. And so I then calculated, because now I know the mathematical optimal arrangement, having done it myself, and then run the numbers and what you end up getting, you can have 650 layers of Ferrero shares in a pyramid before the bottom layer will be crushed by the weight of all the ones above it. You're not counting the weight that I'll add by climbing up it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's going to be pretty big. It's a total of 68,814,850 Ferrero shares, wow. which will cost you just over 26 and a quarter million pounds to buy. Wow. That would be spoiling us. Exactly. Well, I'm just saying that's the bar. That, well, that's the upper bound mm. on how spoiled you can make your guests. Thank you. And actually, if we assume that an ambassador's reception does have 216 people at it, they would have 318,000 each. So there you go. That's pretty spoiled. Yeah, that's very spoiled. Before we push on with the rest of the episode, I just want to make it a point that we have not been sponsored by Ferrero Rocher. Oh, no, absolutely not. Quite the opposite. Yes, the opposite. If anything, Matt has given them money. So um, if you mm. are from Ferrero Rocher and you think that that was worth 
sponsoring us for, do get in touch at a problem square. What? You're shaking your head, I Matt. I do not authorize this or condone it at all. I've got enough for shares in my life right now. I do not want to be sent any more. I meant with money. Oh, money. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. We have a problem in from Simon on Patreon who says it's a question no one has managed to answer. Wow. What? Apparently they use this as an icebreaker sometimes when they meet new folks at a party. They want to know, how do we determine when an area changes name based on volume? I mean, that's a good, messy question so far. So they, oh, they're talking about rooms in a house. So they say, at what point does a room become a great room? At what point does a great room become a ballroom? When does a ballroom become a great hall? And the other direction, what about a hallway? At what volume does a hallway become a room? And when does a closet become a room? Is it number of doors? Okay, so the problem here is, Beck, how do we classify what a room is? Yeah, I've got a few simple things that I think absolutely cover everything here. Bold of you. Number one. Yep. What makes a room a room is whether it can fit the thing that the room is named after. Got it. So a closet can't be a bedroom because it's not got a bed in it. If you fit a bed in it, then it's a bedroom. A lounge room can fit a lounge in it, meaning like a lounge chair. A ballroom, you can hold a ball in it. Like, it's very simple. However, I reckon I could fit a bed in my lounge. Sure, and then it's a bedroom. Oh, okay. It's a bedroom or a lounge room. If you've got a bed or a lounge in there, it's a bed or a lounge room. It's named after what's in it. So I think that's the really simple answer there. The second thing is a hallway. This is going to blow your mind. The word hallway comes from the word hall, which originally is basically referring to a large building. Like a town hall. Exactly. Yeah. So the hallway isn't defined by the fact that it's like now you could say a hallway is means a passageway or whatever. But essentially it comes from the fact that it's a room that does have many doors coming off of it. So a hallway technically is a room. It's not like in the same way that a hall is a room. So let, let me just try and make sure I got this right. Mm. Back in the day, yeah. a house was just one room, yeah, a hall. And then we gradually had more and more rooms attached to the outside. And the hall bit got smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. So now it's not vestigial, but there's still just this little hall in the middle of the house that used to be the whole house. But now it's just that little bit. Whereas the town hall has just, it's still just one big room. It's still a big hall. And the defining feature is the number of doorways. Essentially. Originally, the term hall comes from just meaning building, which is why you're thinking of town hall and stuff. Because it was just like, the etymology of it is it means like safe and cover. Like that's kind of where it it, it comes from a lot of other languages. So it's it's sort of a mix. But um, more, I think it was around this, uh, I could be very wrong here, but I believe it was around the 17th century where um, in use it, meant it came to refer to the main central room in a building that had other rooms attached to it. Got it. And as and then we get onto the point that you were saying that as it comes down and the houses get smaller and smaller, the hall would get smaller and smaller. And now we come to acknowledge a hall as being a very small thing. But actually a hall is relative to the size of the building. So its name doesn't change based on its volume. Its name remains regardless of volume. So it's always a hall is what you're saying. Yeah. So a room is 
what it is, as long as it can fit the thing it's named in after it, mm-hmm. inside it. Mm-hmm. But if it's got an above average number of doors, it's a hole. Yeah. If it has other rooms coming off it, not above average number of doors, because then that could be, you know, like uh, you could count a like an actual cupboard, which isn't a room. Okay, That's a good point. <laughs> I, I I keep thinking I want I want something like it's the volume of the room in cubic meters divided by the square of the number of doors. I know that's what you want. That's not what it is. It's much simpler than that. Okay, fine. And that's why I think this this person on Patreon, I think all they're too smart for their own good and their friends are too smart for their own good. They're overthinking this. It's very, very simple. The name of a room is based on what you can fit in it. A hall is based on the fact that it's a space with loads of other rooms attached to it. Hall slash hallway, interchangeable words. Got it. And to answer the final question, when does a room become a great room? Another very simple answer. It's when Beck Hill's in there. Oh, yeah, baby. That's what makes a room a great room. Put me in there. Oh, yeah. Party time. Excellent. So, uh, yeah. Problem solved. Ding. Bye. <laughs> I have no additional concerns or queries. That's, uh, that is a problem problem solved right there. Simon, let us know if you're as convinced as Beck is by her answer. Finally, we have time for any other AOB business. And Beck, we need to know, how is the 5K t-shirt doing? It's finished! It's done! It's finished! We've filled up the 500 squares. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so we've got 5,000 pounds. We'll be uh, getting that across. By the time this comes out, there should be um, some info on uh, my socials about the money going to water aid uh yeah so also um this is a fun thing i wore the t-shirt on the jonathan ross comedy club no way that's amazing so anyone who's listened to that episode where you and my brother helped me divide the shirt up you can now see the finished product on the jonathan ross comedy club uh where i'll be wearing it yeah so your t-shirt's going to be on prime uk television it should be it's five thousand pounds you've delivered everything that you promised on that t-shirt. Yeah. That's amazing. There will be some more news in the future. It'll, uh, it's still, I'm still planning to put it into an art exhibition and go further, but we can uh, talk about that further down the road. Excellent. And we will put a screen grab of you wearing it on UK primetime television on Jonathan Ross's new show. We'll put that on all our social medias, which are almost without exception, our problem squared. Yeah. Our problem squared, Instagram, Twitter. I think that's it. <laughs> Final update is thank you so much, our new Patreon supporters. This is episode number 11 of 12. We've been going for, I would say, approximately 11 and a half months officially. And that brings (laughs) us up to 97 Patreon supporters at the time of recording. So it feels overwhelmingly likely, regardless of where we decide to draw the line on when the first 12 months is up, that we will hit 100 people and we will be obliged according to our own rules to do another year of a problem squared imagine if after listening to this episode loads of people stop supporting us so that they so that we don't do another year they're just <laughs> they're like, like whoa 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 <laughs> i don't think i could commit to this we can't have that on our conscience we're all <laughs> back so, uh. so obviously a massive thank you to all those uh, new patrons as well as the ones that have been with us right from the start but most of all, just thanks to all of our listeners. I mean, this is the reason that we do it. it it's it's mainly so that we can have fun and, and, you know, share it with you. So thank you. Tell your friends. 
that's just as important to us as any type of financial support. Bye! 